0: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the construction of the temple, as we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck.
1: In the 40, 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt. And in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, in the second month, they began the building of the temple. Now the temple was to be 90 feet long and 30 feet wide and 45 feet tall. So if you can picture now in your mind, 90 feet, that's how long Solomon's temple was. But 45 feet high, so that is quite high for a building. So it was rather high and long and narrow. And of course, it had the one end that was petitioned off and had doors at that time, into the Holy of Holies. The doors were of carved olive wood and overlaid with gold. And as you get into chapter 6, it begins to give you the description of the temple that they were constructing. Now, In verse 7 it tells us when they were building it, it was built of stone made ready before it was brought to the site so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. So all of the cutting of the stone was done at the quarry, which was, of course, under the city, and they would cut the stones to size and all there, and then bring them out and just lay them in so there was no noise of a hammer or any iron or tool at the actual construction site of the temple. Now, there's an interesting story that is told in the construction of the temple, and that is that the stones being quarried at a distance from the actual site of the building They were all of them once quarried, marked with a special mark, so that they would have the plan at the quarry for the building and the dimension of each stone. And then they also had another set of plans on the job. And again, each stone made especially for each slot. And they would quarry the stone and send it, and they would mark where it went. And the Foreman on the job would see the stone and he would direct them where to lay it. Well, a stone came from the quarry that didn't seem to fit into the building. And so the people didn't see or understand where this particular stone went, so they tossed it aside. Now, this building was seven years in the construction. So in seven years, the the shrubbery and all can grow up and cover. And the story goes that this stone just became lost in this overgrowth of shrubbery and all. So that when the temple was just about completed, the foreman sent a message to the quarry, we're all set to lay the cornerstone, the chief stone of the building. Where is it? And the quarry said, that stone was made and already sent to the job. They said, well, it's not here. They said, well, it's been sent. Look for it. And someone said, well, remember that stone we threw over there in the bushes? And they went over, and sure enough, The stone that was rejected by the builders was the chief cornerstone of the building. Now, Peter picks this up when he is talking to the Sanhedrin when he is called on the carpet because of the healing of the lame man in the temple. And here is Peter standing before the Sanhedrin. He said, hey, fellas, if you're going to arrest me today because of the good deed done to this lame man, then that's your problem. But you want to know by what power or authority I did it, be it known unto you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth does this man stand here before you whole. And he is the stone which was set of not by you builders, but God has made him the chief cornerstone. And he is showing them a parallel a story that was familiar to all of them how that the chief stone was rejected, but the same has become the head of the corner. It's in a psalm. But Peter shows that actually it is only prefiguring Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, who was rejected by the religious builders in Israel. But God has made him the head cornerstone overall. So this is why that psalm and why Peter picked it up is that the stones were all carved out away from the site and brought to the site ready to be set. Now again, the word of the Lord came to Solomon in verse 12, declaring concerning this house which you are building. Again, conditional, if You will walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them. Then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel. I will not forsake my people Israel. So God's promise, conditional promise to Solomon that God would dwell there in the midst of the people. Now, They did not build temples to worship in. That is, to congregate to worship. The temple and the idea of the temple was a place for God to dwell in. David said, it isn't right that I'm dwelling in this house that is all sealed and nice, and God is still dwelling in a tent. I'm going to make a house for God. Now, when we build churches we think of accommodating the people that we might all gather together in order that we might worship God together here and study his word and grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. But not so in those days. In their building of a temple, the idea was to build a house for God and the common ordinary person was never allowed inside. Only the priests were allowed to go inside of the temple to visit with God. But the common people weren't allowed inside the building at all. There were the porches where they could go into the porches. But into the actual building itself, only the priest could enter. So it wasn't a center of worship like buildings that we build today in the church. And our idea is to accommodate the people to gather together to worship God. Their idea was to build a house for God to dwell in. But then when Solomon finished the temple, he saw how foolish the whole thing was. He said, God, I look up and I know that the heavens of heaven aren't big enough to contain you, how much less this little house that I've built here. And we know that God doesn't dwell in temples or in houses made with hands. But he dwells, of course, within our hearts and lives. But he who fills the universe fills my heart and my life tonight. For my body has become... The temple of the Holy Spirit. The dwelling place of God and God's Spirit within me. So we don't need to build temples for God to dwell in. We build places where we can assemble to acknowledge God and to worship God. So God said, I will dwell among my people. As long as they walk in my statutes, keep my commandments, I will dwell among them and I will not forsake my people Israel. And so it goes on and tells of the building of the house for God and of the Holy of Holies, which was a 30-foot cube, and of the two cherubim that they built to go into the Holy of Holies, carved them out of olive wood, and then overlaid them with gold, and how that the cherubim's, Wing spans were 10 feet from wing to wing. So they were pretty good-sized cherubim. And they they were set in the Holy of Holies. And at this point, the only furnishing within the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And the golden cherubims were sort of over the Ark of the Covenant. Now, even as the tabernacle was a model of heaven, so the temple, in a sense, became a model of heaven because the the design was much as the tabernacle with the holy place on the outer part where the priests would come and daily bring the sacrifices and so forth to sprinkle before the mercy seat. But then the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant was all overlaid with gold, with the golden cherubim and the Ark of the Covenant in the middle. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was lost or was placed in hiding at the time of Nebuchadnezzar's siege of Jerusalem. There are some rumors that Jeremiah hid the Ark of the Covenant. But the Ark of the Covenant was not in Herod's temple. And perhaps someplace in the earth today that Ark of the Covenant still exists. It would be a fascinating archaeological find. Because within the Ark of the Covenant are the two tables of stone upon which God inscribed the Ten Commandments. And so how fascinating it would be to find this little golden box and inside two stones with strange writing on them. It was the only furnishing within the Holy of Holies. And uh, Solomon built this seven years, overlaid the whole thing with gold, the planks and all overlaid with gold. It must have been fabulously beautiful and, of course, extremely expensive. They've estimated... Of course, that was at gold $32 an ounce. They estimated the cost at uh, into the hundreds of millions. Now at uh, $547 an ounce, I don't know. It would really be something. So it gives you the sort of the dimensions of the building and the carvings and so forth. And I'll leave you to peruse those at your own leisure. So he was seven years, the end of chapter 6, in building the house of God, but Solomon was building his own house for 13 years. And he finished all of his house. So it shows where his priorities began to turn. Seven years building the house of God, then turning around, and 13 years building his own. But then it goes on and tells of the dimensions of of Solomon's house, and the foundation of these costly great stones, 10 cubits, which would be 15 feet, and 8 cubits, which would be about 12 feet. So 12 to 15 feet. And Hiram was furnishing all of these cedars and so forth as uh, the contract read. Now it tells of the building of the, uh, of, of the two brass pillars That they made at the entrance, for the entrance of the temple. And one they called Jachin and the other Boaz. It means he shall establish Jachin and Boaz. It is in it is strength. Now, just what the purpose of these two brass pillars has led to a lot of conjecture, but we really don't know. He shall establish and in it is strength. But, of course, the masons make a lot out of the two brass pillars and out of Solomon's temple and its design and all. And uh, many uh, Christian mystics uh, make a lot out of the two uh, brass pillars. They were later carried to Babylon. But then also a brass washing basin and 12 oxen, three facing towards the north, three towards the east, south, and west, all of them facing outwards, and then this big brass swimming pool on top, almost the size of a pool. As you read the dimensions, it would hold about 16,000 gallons of water, and this was for the priest to bathe. You remember outside the tabernacle, there was the brass laver for the Priest to bathe. Well, they really made an elaborate one here at the temple, setting on these oxen and so forth. And uh, if you can get a um, uh, some of the Bible type of handbooks, have artist impressions of what it might have looked like. And a lot of times, it helps to see uh, the thing done artistically. The the twelve oxen and this big brass laver on top, thick brass, and uh, it, then all of the lavers and so forth that they made for the inside work, for the candles, candle snuffers and all, were all made out of gold. Everything that was applied to the altar on the outside was of brass. Brass is always a metal that is symbolic of judgment. So the, the cleansing in the brass laver, judgment, the necessity of cleansing, the altar itself overlaid with brass, judgment, uh, the animal having died, and, and all of the instruments that had to do with the sacrifices and all were done with brass. But those that had to do with just the fellowship and worship with, of God inside were of gold, uh, symbolic of the heavenlies. And so you're entering in now to the heavenlies, into the area of God and that's done in gold but the other instruments all of brass and chapter 7 deals with the various instruments and those that were made of brass those that were made of gold chapter 8 Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and they brought the ark of the covenant into the temple and as they did The glory of the Lord came and filled the temple and there there was just this glorious presence of God even as did take place at the time of the dedication of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now again, God's presence, the Shekinah glory of God filling the temple. And Solomon there, offered his prayer of dedication unto God. And this dedicatory prayer of Solomon's is, of course, a classic. As he speaks, first of all, of his building of the temple, in verse 17 he said, It was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said unto David my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house unto my name, You did well that it was in your heart. Now God accounted it to David as having done it because it was in his his heart to do, though David was not allowed to do it. God takes your motives many times above your actions. It is possible to have the right actions with the wrong motives. That is not acceptable by God. You may have the right motives, but not Carry through in actions. The fact that the motive, the desire is there is acceptable by God. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. God looks upon that which motivates you and, and that which is in your heart to do, and that's what God counts, what is in your heart to do. Not always am I able to do what's in my heart. You know, it may be that a person is a very generous person but has nothing to give. God sees the heart. He sees the desire of the heart to give. Even though there is nothing to give, God counts the desire of the heart even more than the wealthy person that gives God a pittance of their wealth. Remember Jesus talking about the little widow. She gave more than the rest. Though it was just a mite, she gave of her substance. The rest have all tossed in out of their abundance. That doesn't count. God sees the heart. He knows the motive of the heart. It was in David's heart. To build the temple and as much as in his heart, God said, that's good. It was in your heart to do. But you can't do it because you've got too much blood on your hands. A man of war, but your son that shall come out of your own loins, he will build the house in my name. So the Lord hath performed his word that he spoke. Now, this affirmation of God's faithfulness to perform his word is something that we need to take note of, verse 20. For you can be sure that God will perform his word that he declares... And Solomon has now affirmed the fact that God has performed, and I am risen in the place of my father David to sit upon the throne of Israel. And as the Lord promised and have built the house for the name of the Lord God of Israel, I have set there a place for the ark wherein is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And now Solomon's prayer. So he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of of all the congregation. He spread forth his hands towards heaven. So you see Solomon now standing there and all of the congregation of Israel having assembled. And Solomon lifts his hands unto God. And there he begins this prayer of dedication. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heavens above or in the earth beneath who keeps covenant covenant. And mercy with your servants that walk before you with all your heart. God, there's no god like you anywhere.
0: We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the Book of First Kings on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order First Kings six through eight when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org.
1: fill you with His Spirit and guide you with His counsels. May you be strengthened in your walk with Him. May you begin to experience greater victories over those areas of the flesh that have dominated. And may you begin to experience more and more the power of God's Spirit within your life, giving victory. May the Lord be with you and may the Lord keep you in His love during the time that we were absent from each other. And may you just grow in your knowledge of Him and in your fellowship. In Jesus' name.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Lord, I believe in You. I'll always believe in you.
1: It is by faith that you've been walking into one level of spiritual maturity to another. Faith is the key to a successful Christian life. And that is why the Word of God tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It was faith that led Abraham into the land of promise. It was faith that led the children of Israel through the Red Sea. It was faith that enabled Peter to step out of the boat and to walk on water. The question is, what might faith do in you? To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, Faith, or to preview a chapter for free online, visit thewordfortoday.org or call 800-272-9673.